0: Welcome to our podcast, Deconstruct. My name is Lauren.
1: And I'm Adam. On this podcast, we want to help start or continue conversations about the beautiful and messy parts of life. Although we both had a conservative upbringing, we've since grown out of a lot of our traditional ways of thinking.
0: We're learning to deconstruct the religious lenses we once saw the world through, breaking down topics like purity culture, racism, and the patriarchy, while demystifying things like feminism, equality, and love stepping away from our evangelical church background all the while leaning into god and moving forward in our faith
1: we'd love to hear your story you can find us on instagram at deconstruct.pod now on to the episode <music>
2: Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. America, we're super good at <laughs> all the things. Maybe yeah. we should explain to people this is not the Olympics. Like, the point is not to have the higher numbers. Right. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. We're not trying to win. Right. No, no, this is not good. Yeah, so people here are, it's a really interesting thing, because Newport Beach, which is close to me, um, it's like the next town, uh, there's a lot of people who are like, you know, wearing a mask infringes on my civil liberties, and mm, yeah. so that's actually affecting our numbers, even in my town, because it's like literally a street right. apart. Yeah. So, yeah, thanks guys, I'm sure the
0: beach towns aren't helping that. Uh, we, you know, our downtown, Broadway, and all that in Nashville is not helping either. We still have a bunch of tourists coming, and they're just acting like Nashville's normal, not wearing masks. And
2: yeah, I'm trying not to be upset about it, as someone who my Family is in Canada and England, and they're coming out of the right. phases they were in. Mm-hmm. So I'm seeing like friends at weddings and right. people normal. having normal life. And so I mean, there's still like precautions being taken, but they're sure. not. Where, but again, they were they were in lockdown for three months and like aggressively locked down right? <laughs> and in some ways, we were too. But it doesn't help if you are and your neighbors are not. So right. Oh wait. Yeah,
0: feel that. I understand. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. Today we have Reverend Sarah Heath. She is a speaker, she's a pastor, author podcaster, designer, actress, dancer, and science nerd. <laughs> she is an ordained United Methodist clergywoman who loves to use her unique experiences to teach others to lead with authenticity, reframe their stories, build relationships with them, who uh, people who are different than them, and connect the spiritual and the ordinary, and renew their space in a way that renews community. She helps people see the potential beauty that already exists in their own lives and spaces. Sarah, welcome to the podcast.
2: Gosh, thank you. It's so funny. I didn't write my um, bio, obviously. (laughs) It was written by a friend of mine. I'm always like, wow, that's a lot of
0: things. Yeah, you do a lot of things. Jack of all trades. You do. Isn't that
1: so interesting? Like you almost have to have somebody outside of yourself to actually see the things you do, even though you're the one that actually sees the intimate work of the things that you do.
2: I think I would just, I'm awful at writing up any sort of anything about me. It Mm. just feels weird and I just am, you know, I I feel like it it always comes out way more awkward. Like, I do the things and people come.
0: I know. I know. (laughs) I understand. I I have a blog and I have this podcast. I have a YouTube channel. I do music. So I, I feel the same. And I was just talking with a couple, I was in a couple interviews on other people's podcasts. Um, and they just, well, somebody described me as a, just like a creator. And then another person just described me as an artist. And so, yeah, it is fun to see how people kind of see and view you because you can get so caught up in your own content creation that you don't even, I don't even like that word, but you know, you, you don't even know exactly the titles that you hold or that how people see you.
2: Right. I think I had one friend sum it up in one sentence one time and I thought it was so helpful. Um, I actually said it. And then he said, actually, I think that's all of your work, which is like, you make space for people. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And that includes like, cause I love doing uh, design work. And I also, you know, with the way that my churches and um, even helping other communities or leaders or whatever it is, it's always about kind of making space for who they actually are and also mm. making space for other people. And I was like, but that's a really vague thing. He's like, but it's the only thing that fits all your pieces together. So that's sure. been a really helpful last two years. I'm like, I make space. Yeah. Literally and figuratively. Mm -hmm. That's what I do.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I feel like you can go by, you know, that can be your umbrella term or your umbrella phrase or sentence. And then, you know, everything else kind of falls underneath that. Um, But yeah, I think that's, that's beautiful. I love that. Can you tell us uh, a bit about more exactly. So that's all the things that you you know you are and the the hats that you've worn. What are you currently doing? Like what's right now? We said you have a podcast, um, and then you talk yep. about making spaces physically. Uh, how, are you doing that right now during the pandemic? Were you are? You going to start back up again? What's what's going on? Yeah.
2: So I started a podcast called Making Spaces that was sort of um, built around this idea that we make space uh, even design-wise, like interior design-wise, or um, restoring a church space. Um, the reason that we're doing that is we want people to be in proximity with each other so that they, like the, all the studies that you read and the reason that they have Science Nerd in my um, biography is that actually my undergrad was in biology. Love it. But uh, so I love to read studies and kind of like, especially like social studies or how did we get here? And we find that people don't change their opinion by it's weird, what I'm about to say is gonna be revolutionary, but like turns mm-hmm. out having a big billboard that tells people why they're wrong isn't actually super helpful. <laughs> um, yeah. I do want to meet the person who is like, The end is near what? Tell me more, <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, Please help me prepare, right? Right, I didn't know. Um, so we find out people actually only change through relationship and proximity. So, a lot of people have a lot of thoughts on you know, issues and they'll say, Oh, I think this and I think this. And often the place to start is, well, do you know anyone that fits into that category that you're saying some really broad statements about? Um, because if you're not actually in relationship with people, you know, we find that there's no no real buy-in. And so mm-hmm. I started a podcast that talked about the need for proximity. And then a global pandemic happens mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. you need to not be in proximity mm-hmm. with right. each other. Right. So uh the fun part of all of that is I have had all these conversations with who I consider like space makers. So friends of mine, who have a podcast um, called the Bible for normal people that helps people think mm. through why, you know, the Bible, when you start to sort of chip away at it um, and they're both scholars, mm. this idea of like, what is, what is the Bible actually? Cause sometimes when we talk about it, we actually have quite different understandings of what it is. And yet, you know, we um, weaponize it. And then I had, another friend of mine who happens to be an actual designer of furniture. And what's really interesting is all of this work falls into the same. Uh, why, why are we all doing this? And it's often because we want people to be in relationship with each other. Mm. Um, better conversations happen in spaces that are designed certain ways. So I have been doing virtual consultations with some churches that are changing their spaces to prepare for when they regather because they're finding it, Hey, we're going to have to do a hybrid Mm -hmm. regather or so virtual as well as in person. Mm -hmm. Um, I've also been, you know, with my own community, I put casters on pews so that we can move our pews, which actually is going to work out great for when we do figure out how to regather, um, to make, space between each that so we can be six feet apart yeah um which is not typical in a lot of the traditional churches sure, but yeah. also just sort of yeah so in the midst of this I have been you know talking to a lot of different people um about hey how do we make space for each other how do we make space for each other virtually as well in a way that actually creates community mm. um and then also trying to figure out how to run a community, because I I had relaunched a church four years ago, um, July, we started our fifth year, um, oh, cool. in a hundred year old, it's almost a hundred year old building, they had died down to about 27 folks that were involved in the church, oh. but it's this like really cool um, church, like right in the heart of this like cool kind of artist area, but it doesn't, like nobody thought it was still open which is a long and funny story but um it had been (laughs) just like had been going through decline and um so we grew uh in the last four years and now it's like I think of the friends episode like pivot I feel like every day is like okay pivot guys like okay now we're gonna try to do it this way and one of the things I'm passionate about is being in community with people that are different ages than you are so my church is very diverse age-wise so Mm -hmm. it's like how do I you know, help people connect when they have like there's digital barriers and that kind of stuff right so it yeah. seems like every day is a different thing, but it is all towards this idea of trying to get people in proximity, if not physically um yeah, just keeping connected
0: that's yeah. keeps my days going right yeah. wow that sounds like you definitely found ways to keep yourself busy during <laughs> quarantine and <laughs> the pandemic
1: well i feel like having an online space right now does give you the opportunity to pivot every day you can kind of reassess what your engagement is because i mean on top of like actual analytics that you can look at to see what it looks like the people that are in your space that are finding community with each other what that actually looks like it's just I feel like you have a lot more, you're a lot you're a lot more mobile. You can do a lot more changing. And I feel like I feel like people are seeing community in that kind of space uh, in a different way right now because we see that we need community and we need inclusion and all of that kind of stuff. And for us personally, it's it's um, we're seeing a lot of people calling to see representation of themselves. In mm-hmm. communities and church spaces that wouldn't that that maybe before that would be that would be the thing that they were willing to compromise on in a church space or or you know so many different things where now because we're all obligated to communities that aren't physical, I think people right. are are being able to be a bit more decisive about the spaces that they want to occupy and the things that are a requirement for them to to feel like they have a voice in the space.
2: Yeah, I think it's a, it's kind of an interesting time as well for like, I do this thing called Biology on Tap, which is like, it used to be once a month. Um, now it's every other week where I just bring like a theological conversation. People are invited to bring beer or whatever they want to drink. Um, and we would meet at breweries and literally I would bring all these quotes, a friend of mine, um, Nate Nims, who's also a pastor, he had sort of created this structure and then I kind of just ran with it, um, mm. for my community, but I, we meet in a pub. I would say something like, okay guys, what do you guys think about the words when I say like social justice, what does that mean to you? And mm. then I literally don't have to do anything other than ask the questions and they have these conversations. Cause we found in our space, we have like a lot of people with, like masters in divinity or theology. So they're like way, like way (laughs) smart, way engaged. Some of them are PhDs. So they're smarter than me. Um, so the conversations they're having are great, but we're finding as we do it online, people are calling in from all over the country. And it like people from North Carolina where that's like a three hour time difference. So we start at seven, you're starting at nine, like that's, you know, uh, or 10 and you're, you're going with us till the end. Like that's crazy. Um, but that people just are so if they are engaged, they're really engaged. Mm. Um, but we are finding a statistically 50% of former regular church attenders are not engaged at all, whether Mm. online or, um, you know, if they are able to regather in their state, which most are not. Um, yeah, I just read the study this morning that said 50%, they believe it's around. I mean, they don't, you know, obviously we're just in the midst of trying to figure that out, but people have disengaged and, um, I don't necessarily know that that's bad. I think it's an <laughs> opportunity. You know, there has to be, in my opinion, um, death of what was, right, uh, for something else to be born. So mm. it, it's a fascinating time to be alive. That's
0: yeah. for sure. Yeah, for sure. I, that's that is very interesting. I feel like, and in, in, in another sense, there's people exploring uh-huh. uh, faith communities in a way that's safe for them because it's on a right. screen. Um, so yeah, it's very interesting. And to give you a little bit of um, our our background and our experience, hearing you talk about theology on tap, uh, we we actually attend and are involved in Grace Point Church. Um, oh, right. And so uh, yeah, we we know of theology on tap and that structure. Which it's an, interesting; I didn't know where that came from. So you said it was Nate.
2: Nate interesting. Oh, a friend of mine is Nate Nims. So I don't know. I mean, we started doing theology on tap, gosh, four year three years ago? Mm. Four years ago. Um, and I had just heard about it from him. He called it Bibles and Brew. I thought I was clever and then found out other people were doing something called Theology on Tap. Interesting. Um,
0: yeah, cuz we have other things like books and brews at the church and theology on tap and reconstruct and it sounds all similar. So, of course there's going to be ties and um things of, of course especially in progressive Christian spaces, which I love. But I it's interesting to kind of hear you speak on that uh which cuz this has been my only experience with a progressive Christian church. It's my my first one uh, with Grace Point. Um and so hearing it Kind of be, uh, like the structure kind of is involved in other places. Is kind of, is cool to see and to hear yeah. that that exists. I think
2: that's how you know something is brewing. I, there's a word for it, and I can't think of it. But in the creative field, you know, you find mm-hmm. like the same thing sprouts up in different places, and it sometimes the people aren't even aware that other people are doing the exact same thing. Yeah, but it's kind of that you know, mutual um, discovery, <laughs> right? Yes, um, which. Like even like I had this idea of I think DIY culture is terrible in some ways and that, you know, we think we can do it ourselves, And so we watch a YouTube video and we learn how to build something. Like for me, I do a lot of like furniture restoration stuff and I can go online and just learn how to do it. But I haven't learned from an apprentice. I I haven't learned from someone who could Mm -hmm. show me a, a specific way that they did it. And there's not like that involvement or what I like to call like mutual apprenticeship. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, I think we need to move from DIY to DIT, do Mm -hmm. it together. And I thought I have just invented something. And so my friend was like, Oh my gosh, DIT, that's such a good idea. And then two days ago, she was like, I'm going to look up and see if DIT is a thing. It's a thing. There's a (laughs) Facebook group. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. Like, no, I mean, they have like a slightly different slant on it, but I was like, Oh, I guess other, just when I think. Well, yeah, I mean, but at
1: least you're able to find a community of other people that also think the same way that you do.
2: Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Uh, But yeah, I think there is this sense of when we're trying to move uh, or move with other people's, whether it's, you know, the words we often use are deconstruction or when people are sort of taking apart what they once Mm -hmm. Um, held to be true, there are some things that still are foundational. And one of them is community or questioning is important. And so of course, we're going to try to create spaces where community and questioning happen. So I'm not surprised that we're all kind of doing somewhat similar things, taking some church outside of the walls, um, looking at it differently, questioning theology, allowing these spaces to, of course, it's going to start looking like um, each other. It's kind of like when we started building houses, they all started to somewhat look alike because it was important. There were four walls on a roof. Right. So I think yeah. it makes
0: sense. Right. Yeah. And, and to to get some of the um, kind of structure on you and kind of where you came from, I'm curious, you know, Going backwards a little bit, do you like have you always wanted to be a pastor? And is that something that's like oh, been gosh, a part no. of your life? Okay.
2: <laughs> Heck no. Uh-huh. <laughs> I grew up, so I grew up in Canada until I was fourteen. Okay. Um, and I grew up in northern Ontario. So about okay. an hour and a half north of Toronto. And usually I have to explain it to people, like when I speak at events, like usually my disclaimer I give everyone is like, Hey, like you're going to hear three accents because mm. <laughs> my mom is British. I grew up in Canada. Then I lived in Mississippi until oh I was, goodness. I know. And, and then I went to grad school in North Carolina. So I have like, love it. All the, all the accents all come out of my mouth. <laughs> and sometimes all at once. Yeah. So I grew up in Canada till I was 14. And when we moved, we got in, you know, we, I grew up in a fairly progressive church in Canada. Um, but I didn't grow up with the same, America has a very interesting culture around mm. Christianity. Yep. And it's, it's its own thing. Like it really is fascinating from an outside perspective. And actually was telling my mom two days ago, I was like, mom, like I've never felt less American than I have in the last couple of months. And not mm-hmm. in like, and not in like, I'm not American. I mean, I just like don't understand some yeah. cultural reactions to like, other people's health. Like that's very, mm-hmm. when you grow up in a, a more social minded ethos, it's very strange to me sometimes just yeah. to watch. And particularly from within a Christian narrative, it's like, wait, I, this is like mm. antithetical to what would make sense. So I, yeah, I I moved to America thinking <laughs> as I was 13. So I only as 13, and I only knew America by Save by the Bell.
0: Oh my gosh. Um,
1: <laughs> Great representation, I might add. Great.
2: Right? Thank you. The only thing that I think my life is really funny because I actually know Tiffany Thiessen. Um, That's amazing. And I was like, all I knew was Kelly Kapowski. So, like, when I moved, I had this like vision. And it turns out, like, high school in Mississippi was kind of that way. There were cheerleaders and football players. Yeah. It was sort of that thing. But I also, <laughs> grew up loving acting. So mm-hmm. I was five when I did my first play and dancing. And I just thought like America was Hollywood. So like at right. any moment I could be discovered. Mm. Um, turns out, no. Uh, <laughs> but I also just kind of didn't know what I wanted. I've never really known what I want to do. And I think that's why you hear the breadth of all those things. I'm just a sure. super curious person. Yeah. Um, and so I like to try different things. And I'm learning, I don't know if you know, uh, Enneagram stuff. Or oh, if you
0: we guys do. Are, we, we are, go into we are yeah.
1: deep in the Enneagram. You're in
2: that cult. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> yep. Um, me as well. And so I have always thought I was a two on the Enneagram. Um, and you're a three. Recently dis- oh God. Am I? Um, and I didn't know, <laughs> uh, I'm friends with, um, Jen Hatmaker and Jen said to me on the phone, <laughs> this is when I was like first discovering this woman said to me, this, like, here out here, I always said this woman, this, like, amazing counselor who does Enneagram work said, I want you to think about, because you're never supposed to tell people, I want you to maybe question, could you be a three? So I'm a little bit like, what? Mm. And I call some of my <laughs> close friends and I'm like, guys, she thought I was a three. And my friends were like, wait, you don't know you're a three? <laughs> I <was> like, <laughs> and I was like... First of all, rude. And the next day I was literally talking to Jen because she was coming on my podcast the next day. And I was like, Jen, I can't believe it. This woman said I was a three. She goes, oh, honey, you being big free energy in a room. She's like, yeah. you and me in a room is big free energy. And I was like, oh. But then I like sat with it for a little while. I'm like, oh, yeah, yep. Yes. So I, like, I've always had all these interests and I'm going to pursue yep. them um, as an achiever and just try – my hand in all of them yeah. and um so for me wasn't until i was in college and i had all these different passions and i was studying biology as like a fallback my fallback was to be a doctor oh, that's like if nothing worked out <laughs> it's just gonna be a doctor <laughs> plan b yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah whose plan b is that um <laughs> so weird Like, oh, I'll just take organic chemistry just in case. Yeah, right. Just have
1: it in your back pocket.
0: That's amazing. What
2: a weird thing. (laughs) Um, But I ended up uh, realizing I was spending all of my time with this youth group that I was volunteering with. Mm. And one of the kids, his name was Davis. He's 16 years old. And he said to me, Sarah, we're on a retreat. He said, you know, it's interesting. All of us like to talk to you about God because you actually have all of the interests that all of us have. So Mm. you play sports. So the athletes get you. Hugh is a musician. You know, you listen to all the music that I listen to. So I can talk to you about that. Mm -hmm. And it was the first time in my life I thought, oh, all these weird interests strangely fit and make me capable of having these profound conversations. So a 16-year-old was the one who helped me with my vocation. The funny part was I had taken, and this all makes sense to me within the last year as I realized, no, I actually do like design and spatial stuff it's not just a hobby it's something that mm. I um I can do but I I went and took one of those aptitude tests yeah. in undergrad mm-hmm. and they called me in and the woman was like we don't really know how to tell you this but uh <laughs> which is never good right no like you you scored even across all boards you oh could God. do anything um but it's like teach. my deepest fear <laughs> oh right because what do I hear I don't hear you can do all things I hear there's nothing that will make you happy. I yeah. it would be like, Jack of all trades, Master of None. Right. You need this one thing. So I <laughs> so she says to me, and I always tell people this because it's a pivotal moment in my life, the most aggressively specific advice I've ever gotten was I think you should think about designing the interior of vet clinics. <laughs> That's so niche. You
1: need to pick the white of the Thank walls you. and the white <laughs> Thank of the you. tiles.
2: Right. Thank you. I was like, "Mm," because I had studied. So my biology is in animal behavior, which actually works with my job now. Uh, But it was like I was studying. I got all my observational hours to try to apply to vet school. And I also just loved design and color and Mm -hmm. art, but I didn't know what to do with it. So she had an answer. And I thought that could take me about two years to finish all of the state's vet clinics, Mm -hmm. um, very, very niche work, uh, wasn't super helpful, but I walked away from that. Then I had this experience and this is where I feel like the divine or the Holy spirit has kind of guided me in ways that, um, is very playful and very, I would Mm -hmm. have said, heck no. Um, and so I said to my campus pastor, Hey, I think I have called into ministry and she said yeah we've all known for a while but we wanted you to figure it out for yourself Mm, yeah and I just started like from my I don't have a fear of public speaking so that was part of the acting training Mm, you know that came in but I never wanted to be a lead pastor so if you read my journals from when I was in seminary um they say like really cool to learn all this stuff again a three so I'm like I'm gonna go to the hardest thing in the seminary Um, and then I might just use it like it was a giant Bible study for three years, but Mm. I was like, (laughs) you know, maybe I'll go to art school after this, or I just kind of had trouble imagining myself in ministry. So I came out to California to be a youth and college pastor. And then I started a, they asked if every time I preached, they noticed that people really responded. So they asked if I would start sort of an alternative service. So if you're hearing that I'm insane because I was doing youth and college ministry and doing a a second service on Sunday. Um, mm-hmm. it, I don't even know how I lived through those years. But after that, um, our bishop asked me to be a lead preaching pastor. And then from that, then they asked me to revitalize this community. And so that's been my journey of just wow. sort of like, because if you had asked 25-year-old Sarah, yeah. do you want to be the lead pastor of a church? I would be like, no, no, hell no, <laughs> right. Help. Hell no. Nope, not a thing. That's, and I still like don't see myself as that, even though that is what I do. <laughs>
1: it's it's what you end up doing every day, but you're like, I could end up choosing something else tomorrow.
2: Right. Right. I yeah. love
0: that. I it's it's very clear to me as to why when I first took the Enneagram test I got three. Um I'm I'm actually an Enneagram five. Um, but I'm very much a I try everything on. That's kind of part of my five, though. Like, I like to research it and, like, implement it and see how much I can master it. And then I'm like, cool, cool, thanks. And then I, like, kind of move on. Um, And I had music, actually, to kind of ground me um, in a lot of those ways um, because I was... We, I was in the Christian music industry for um, several several years. That's what my main thing was, was just being an artist um, in that arena. And Adam over here, he's our drummer. <laughs> he's the drummer um, and my husband. So uh, married the drummer, of course. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And um, Yeah,
2: that's like literally, yes, that's what you do. Yeah,
0: it's <laughs> literally what everyone does. Everybody
1: thinks the guitarists get the girls. But,
0: but it's really the drummers, honestly. The drummers, yeah, they... Uh, they're always the, ones you they're marry, always the mysterious. They're the mysterious ones. The exactly. But they're holding they're holding the whole band together. That's the thing. <laughs> um, but anyway, so that's that's very interesting to me. Um, I, you know, when you're talking about America, America's Christianity, um, being in the Christian music industry, I have my own uh experience with that actually. Um, because a little bit about me. I'm also Canadian. Um, because, yes, and where I'm, are you from? <laughs> well, so I'm Canadian because of my heritage. I've actually never lived in Canada. Um, some of my family actually lives in Canada, extended family, but I am Ojibwe. And so my reservation <gasps> is um, right outside of like London, Ontario. Um, yeah,
2: my brother was born right near there. Okay,
0: all right. So yeah, so I'm Canadian and my music, my old band, my band that I guess kind of technically still lives in a Canadian radio um, it's called Love Collide and um, our album won best Christian album of the year um, a Juno you t- won year. a Juno? yeah it's <laughs> 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 like why I love talking to Canadians because Canadians know it's a big deal but like literally no one
1: else all the Americans knows. are like uh,
2: <laughs> cool. so like no, the
1: less yes. version of an American award no
2: yeah. incorrect incorrect <laughs> <laughs>
1: I mean, Michael Bublé was there, so I mean, yeah,
2: it was
0: cool. I got to be on the same stage, use the same microphone as Michael Bublé, so I'm I'm very pleased with myself.
2: (laughs) Oh, that's like, yeah, you're basically. What are you still doing? Working? What are you just like? uh, You're done. You've reached it.
0: Exactly, which is why I've moved on. (laughs) That's why I'm doing podcasts. No, actually, it's a whole thing, and we talk about it actually a lot on our podcast and different episodes about our journey and. Um, my sister ended up quitting the band. I also went through deconstruction. And all that being said, Canadian Christian music is one thing. Okay, so we yeah. have been doing music for years. I mean, years, years. <laughs> um, and our last album is the one that obviously won the won the award and blew up because Canadians love our music. But we're, you know, we're living in the States. So we toured mostly in the States. Um and I did, it didn't really pick up as much because we were more, we weren't even, honestly, we weren't even that progressive, but we were two girls who were like more like into pop culture stuff, whatever. It it didn't fit America's Christianity in the sense of like what they expected from two young ladies. Um, but Canada was like, Oh, y'all are rad. Like, cool like let's have you and when we did christian rate or yeah christian radio in canada they the interviews were did you awesome do, like drew
2: brown i don't i don't know <laughs> i don't remember we
1: are not familiar drew brown,
2: yeah he's a he's a canadian christian artist who went through deconstruction has a really cool oh. he's an actual radio show guys those still exist
1: wow amazing like where um, you actually go into the office and you like get in front of the microphone and- yeah You have a cough
2: button. (laughs) Yeah, and he's like a phenomenal musician, but he's also, um, he is a black Canadian, and so he actually is doing a lot right now in racial reconciliation stuff, um, which is really hitting. It's interesting how the Canadian uh, Christian culture is also, you'll have to excuse me, I'm pouring more coffee. You're going to appreciate it. Um, Absolutely. I totally understand. uh, He's finding like, it's interesting how how much of culture has it affected even by the American idea of, like, mm. this is what a Christian album should talk about yeah. and not talk about. Yeah. And, um well I mean, that world is so weird. Well, Canadian so weird.
0: Christian, like, we didn't get any flack back for having a second piercing in our ears um, from canada but here in the states it was a whole different ball game
1: couldn't even put it on the shelf of a record store of a yeah. christian record store at yeah, least a
0: christian like really bookstore yeah it's it's a whole thing like i said this episode doesn't need to be fully about that again because i feel like i talk about <laughs> it all the time um but i'm but ha- i
2: feel like that's pretty relatable in nashville so my friends oh for sure i have a lot of friends who are in the music industry so i went to the university of southern mississippi for undergrad okay that uh, right. has a really good like music program. And a lot of my friends ended up in Nashville. Mm. One of my, um, before I decided to come out here to California, I actually interviewed with the Christian branch of Warner brothers to be an A&R person. Oh, whoa. So that's know, cool. I was almost in the industry. I um, wish
0: you were. Uh, Maybe that would have helped <laughs> us.
2: <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I'm pretty, I'm pretty snobby when it comes to music. I don't know how great of an A&R person I would have been. Yeah. Um, you
0: would have been great probably.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but I, so many of my friends were in that industry, and now they all tour – well, now they're not touring, but when yeah, right. they were all touring, they were all touring with, like, big bands, like like Lizzo and all this sort of mm. stuff, country music. Yep. And they will tell you the worst people to work with were Christian bands.
0: Oh, dude. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like, <laughs> it, it's so true. <laughs> like, there's just nothing – like you can't really say anything else like there's, there's
1: no redemption to there that. There really
0: is no redemption. It is so true. And you know, I have my own traumas from being in, you know, Christian music industry, the entertainment industry within the, the Christian bubble um because it's kind of like where the height of like purity culture especially if you're oh, a female. Oh. Um so yes, it was Yes. We, ugh, it was it's a whole thing. But anyway, when you said that, when you talked about America's Christianity kind of verse, versus like canadian or anywhere else it's all, it's right, like right. jarring because you're like why is why does it function like this and why does this seem to be like the standard when it's
2: not so that's actually a huge there's really good uh historical findings around all this right so mm-hmm. really and it's this is the part that i like i, I geek out on but I, the the fact that at one point christianity was tied to citizenship. Um, in that mm. being a good citizen mm. looked like being a good Christian. And that's, right. and that was done intentionally politically, actually. Um, so then a good Christian goes to church on Sundays, a good, like all these, all this stuff that um, really became the cultural norm. And it's really right around the fifties and sixties. And then, you know, we always hear the language of like, returning back to that as a time. And it's. Ew it really kind of changed the the language of when you look at scripture, it's all like the people in scripture are the people who were literally the, the marginalized and mm-hmm. those who were against the empire. Mm-hmm. So they would have been politically a problem. Yep. Um, and so it's very fascinating how now we are um, married to this idea that a Christian politically looks a certain way. Mm. And it is very um, interesting when you look like, Scripture-wise or historically, it, it's actually very opposite. right? Um, and that's the stuff that, like, helps me to look at to go, okay, because sometimes, you know, like, I I joke around that I've, you know, I've done my own deconstruction. Um, Some of the work I do um, around making spaces is talking about how rebuilding church buildings, actually, for me, is in some ways rebuilding faith for folks. And not rebuilding. It's not like demolition where you took everything away and you don't plan mm. on using any of it. Mm-hmm, sure. I think a lot of people at the start of deconstruction think that you're doing demolition. Right. So they want nothing to do with it. And I, I mean, it has been for the last four years, people will come into our community and I'll see that they're in deconstruction and then they'll throw it away. And I'll think, well, I feel bad that like I ended their faith, <laughs> um, <laughs> but then it'll be two or three years later and they'll come back Yeah, and their, their faith might look totally different. And in some ways, really really beautiful because it's authentic and it's and it's built with the same pieces but in a different way and and I think that's a really healthy thing to happen Mm. um but they often have to take away the things that were added so some of the cultural additions that we we think are part of the whole deal so if you're going to buy this part of the package you got to buy the whole package um and then people don't realize that really like we're invited um by the divine to kind of um. really, th- there's nothing scary about picking apart your faith. In fact, it's, if you think of our Judeo-Christian roots, Midrashic reading, where you just sort of like f- fight over what you think all of this is, like anytime you stop arguing with something, you're done. Like if you just stopped asking your spouse like um, anything about them because you just thought you knew, those are the times when you're not doing so well in right. a relationship or even a friendship. Um. So I think it's We've kind of created this "don't ask questions" and um, faith looks like blind faith. Um, mm. You know, I, I laugh when people are like, "You're supposed to have faith like a child." Have you like met a child? They ask 1,700 questions a day, <laughs> and like, and
1: 1,500 of them are why. <laughs>
2: yeah, why, why? You know, like that's kind of like faith like a child's great. It's like very like distractible and why <laughs> and, um, angry sometimes. Yeah. Um, so there is this like interesting um, thing that's happening, I think, right now. And and in some ways, I feel like uh, some things that needed to die are dying. And even like the Christian music industry and, you know, people being truth tellers about what they've experienced yep. in that industry. You know, like for us, you know, Bethel is close to here and mm-hmm. sort of some of the falling out of all of that that's happened. And yep. in my own community, there's a worship team that's been meeting on the beach with no... You know, they suggest you wear a mask, which by the way is like illegal here. Like you have to wear a mask. But they right. say, oh, we're yeah. suggesting they wear a mask. But they're gathering people. Yeah. And it's like 300 people on that, a beach. I think that's and it's, what
0: my friend Joe was posting. But do you know who Joe Lumen is? I don't know that name. If you don't, you should. She's an amazing woman. She, she's been posting about, she likes to call people out all the time and it's amazing. And I love her. She's probably an Enneagram eight. Um, she, I don't think <laughs> God, she knows I her but she's, she's amazing. Love her. And I, think I love she, an eight. She's, I know, right? <laughs> um, She's uh so, so incredible, but I think she's been calling out some churches and some worship gatherings that are San Diego area. So I'm not exactly sure. Maybe it's not the same thing, but um, It yeah. might
2: be. It's made quite a lot of news, but it, it has that like yucky, like I struggle with anything that is labeled Christian and Mm. I'll back up a little bit with that, but like music is just music. And I think Mm. everything is sacred.
0: Yeah.
2: I think every, you know, to use a little bit of the language of Richard Rohr, like everything belongs.
0: Sure. Yeah.
2: Um, and Oh, me too. Um, me too. And I, I think this idea that Somehow, there needs to be christian music like is is a weird thing because if you actually believe God is in and through all things, then all things has the the fingerprints of of God on it it doesn't like it doesn't have to be Christian or whatever and I think the expectation of who you're meant to be when they hear you Christian with your name is very like i it's really hard I think about a lot of my friends who started in the Christian music industry, and it's kind of golden handcuffs at first, mm-hmm. right like oh, I can you know, tour and it'll be great and I'll feel like I'm helping people and you are and you're having great relationships, but then you get pigeonholed into this like right. you're meant to be all these things. And I got friends who toured and like they're almost expected to be pastors and they're like, Oh yeah, uh, I don't
0: yes. know what I'm doing.
2: Like Yep. Why what? And I think that's there's just so much around um around all of that. And then anytime you put money with your faith, it's
0: tough. Oh um, yeah. It, it's tough. it is. Especially
1: with American capitalism. It's a different animal.
0: Yeah. And then, whenever it's your job, (laughs) it's how you make money. Yeah. It's a whole thing. I didn't just deconstruct my faith, but I deconstructed my career and my family dynamics and everything to do with that. Whenever I, you know, my band basically dissolved and then deconstruction kind of happened for me. Um, And, you know, hearing your heart in all of this, I'm always interested in what pastors, What pastors and faith leaders, what they think um, of the future. So I was curious, like what your take on the church's future in relation to culture um, and society are like, how do you think your congregation will grow?
2: Yeah, I, you know, that's an interesting question, because I think um, even six months ago, um, I would have had a little bit of a different slant on it. Um, But I have been meeting lately with um, some of the leaders from our community. And it's so funny, like, again, God does these things where um, it feels like a divine invitation. And I, you know, right as all of this was happening, as I was sort of getting really burnt out and working all the time. And um, so talking about wanting to really step more into some of my design work, um, I, we had an event about race at our church because the other event canceled on a venue canceled on them. And I said, you, yeah, sure. You can use our church. And this woman, Latasha Morrison, who does racial reconciliation. So she was coming uh, to our, actually, I think she's in Nashville. Yeah. Um, so she was coming to, she was coming to speak at our church. She's amazing. She's got this group called be the bridge. Oh, Phenomenal. Yes. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. She's uh, amazing. Amazing woman. Um, I'd never met her. Uh, it was so great to have her there. I'd never heard of her work, but she's incredible. Well, my friend was hosting it, and I just looked at him and said, Hey, do you want to work with me? Mm -hmm. And he started laughing. And he was like, Actually, yes, because his church situation had changed. And so he came on staff like a couple months before all this happened. So now we have a pastor whose skill set is in racial reconciliation. And so when all of this happened, and then I'm kind of known for doing LGBTQIA inclusion, Mm -hmm. um, which is Again, one of those hysterical divine things because I'm like, mm, I'm a cisgendered heterosexual white woman, okay. Right. <laughs> uh, but I keep getting invited into these spaces right. um, of allyship and learning, and then um, so kind of him and I have been talking about, okay, so what does the church of the future look like? Because he's planted churches that are grow and are, you know, what's our goal is kind of what we've been talking about, and yeah. so we've been talking about how we feel like churches, there's kind of two streams of thought. I think we've got all these buildings. So for me, I'm United Methodist, which you guys actually worship, believe it or not, are not in a former United Methodist church. That oh, building- The
0: Clementine? Used, mm-hmm. about? Yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah. It used to be a United Methodist church and then they didn't have enough membership and then it turned into the venue space and like- That makes sense. I want to steal. That, yeah, I want to I steal see that.
0: Thing. I could see the Uni- that being a Methodist church. I actually grew up going to United Methodist Church. Um, so I always She'll have a very out. soft place in my, like a soft spot in my heart for Methodist uh, Church. I love them.
2: Well, I think there's this like opportunity that we have because we have all these buildings, mm, right? right? We have all these buildings, but our congregation numbers are getting smaller and smaller. So what what's the invitation? Well, I think the buildings have to function for community spaces mm-hmm. beyond a Sunday. It needs to be a place where Actual proximity and gathering are happening, and I think there's such an opportunity because most of our buildings are in the heart of towns or cities. Yeah. So, what can we use them for? Can they become co-working spaces? Can they become spaces where transformation is happening, not just discipleship, but in a in sort of understanding ourselves as like in and of the world? Yeah. Um. So there, there's that for people who have buildings, but I also think we're being invited to engage online presence more. I think um I think again, I'm wondering if we're almost going to sort of shift towards more of like the the in the Hebrew scripture how there were the festival times when everyone would gather, but the weekly things kind of just happen in people's homes. Mm. Um I wonder if we move towards that because how do we become sustainable? So I, I wish I could say what I think the future of the church is. I gotta say I'm kind of in that Phyllis Tickle, like we're in the 500-year. Everything's going to flip upside down. Yeah, I think the massive evangelical tied to the right wing. I think we're hearing a very loud death rattle. Yeah. right now, um, you know, the number of pastors I talk to in private who say to me, "I can't do this anymore."
0: Mm. Like
2: um, your former, uh, the former leader, Sam Mitchell. Him and I used to talk about this all the time because pastors would come to us. And say, I'm the leader of this church, which would have thousands of people. And I don't even believe what I'm selling. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's the, that's the shift. I think we're seeing some really ugly things because they need to come to light because things can't change unless they're seen. Yeah. Um, the systemic racism of church community, the systemic like uh, misogyny, the toxic masculinity, like
0: mm-hmm. it
2: can only last so long until it implodes on itself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think it's going to be really loud and going, but on my most hopeful days, I think it is shifting. Yeah. Um, I think those of us kind of stuck in the, in between times we're experiencing the birth pains in really, really awful ways. And
0: yeah,
2: you know, sometimes I'm like, okay, like I hate this Christian thing. Like I hate it, but okay, Jesus, like sometime like I, you know, I'll read, I've been reading, i read the universal Christ with a group mm. of people and there's this meditation in there. Um, that I've been reading and it just kind of reconnects me to like, okay, I don't always understand the personhood and divinity of Christ, but man, there's something still so compelling Mm -hmm. to me in it, but it's only expanding and growing and including more. And I, you can't, once that ball starts rolling. Yeah. Mm, That's so good. You you can't unroll it. And so I think a lot of people are awakening to that. And so now the church has to decide what are essential parts of it. What are we discovering essential parts Are people still want to, pray together um people still want to question together um and i think some of the like mega church moments have passed um i think yeah. some of the concerty style stuff like i don't know i've just been really uh touched by the number of like just youtube things i see of someone who is just a pastor sitting in front of a camera telling a story yeah. um, and how compelling that is versus like 17 cameras with a drone. Um, yeah. <laughs> right. Right. And I think there's something nice about excellence because we're doing our best, but there's also something nice about honesty. Yeah. Um, so I'm hoping. Um, I also think we're getting to a point where like St. Brené Brown's work is starting to infiltrate. Uh, I did say her, by the way. Um, <laughs> yes, you Like did. already starting <laughs> to infiltrate our our ethos as far as like, I think pastors are starting to become humans Mm -hmm, and fellow, and fellow journeyers instead of, instead of a stand in for the divine. And I think we saw a lot of really toxic behavior from people in leadership. And we see a lot of toxic behavior in leadership when people are asked to be beyond human. Um, So those are my hopes I have for the church. Sometimes I just want to burn it all down. (laughs) But then I think about like, if we look at our spaces, like I think about, um, Nashville like whenever I'm in Nashville I like to go to um oh what's the name of the place it's down it's like a guy's like a dog name oh Fido Fido I like to go to Fido
1: Yeah. yeah we love Fido Hey, everyone, want to take a quick moment to say thank you for listening. If you like what you're hearing, please share this episode and rate and review the podcast as it helps others find this online community. Thanks so much. Now back to the episode.
2: Right. I like to go work in Fido. I like to like sit there, do a little work. I was there last summer. And um, I I realized how for many of us when we are virtually working, which I think a lot more of us will. Mm-hmm. Um, when we're doing that, we have a lot more ownership over who we spend our time with. yeah. And, and by that, I mean, like, from the gym we go to, to the coffee shop we go to, it, there's an entirely potential scenario where we're never around anyone who's older than us or younger. Sure, yeah. Everyone's in the same and Everyone's almost in the same socioeconomic bracket. Yeah. Right. Which is really problematic when you think, like, already – you know Jeff Bezos and Mark Zuckerberg decide who my friends are mm. so already if i'm only experiencing my little isolation of what i'm doing online because you know algorithms are deciding what i'm seeing and then in my um life in my face to face i'm only around people who are similar aged as me there's this thing that happens in us this real existential fear that life is always what life is right now yeah And we miss out on the opportunity for longevity of relationship. And so, church has a real unique space in community because we don't, it's not self decided. Yeah. Like, I don't get to decide who's at my church. Now, in some ways, you can by like your policies that you have and that sort of stuff, but you have to encounter the other in a way that I don't think is happening in other spaces like it was. You know, there was this time when. When you worked at a job, you were encountering people of all different ages. Well, yeah. there really is less of that. And I think an opportunity, and especially for those of us who live far away from family, like church could be, it used to be the most segregated space. What if it was the most inclusive space?
0: Mm, yeah. Yeah. That's
2: the way so I So mean, those kind of my space. hopes. <laughs> right. Those are my hopes. But it's gonna take some gnashing of teeth and people being uncomfortable.
0: Yeah. Yeah,
2: which is good.
0: Yeah, I I love that. I think that's so great. I Also, love how that you gave you gave Renee the saint. I mean, because she is. I I I call her queen, but saint works too. (laughs) Queen's good too. (laughs) Queen's good too. Yeah,
2: I just you know I just uh, started listening to um, Glennon Doyle. I hadn't really encountered. Oh my god! I mean, I've encountered. Amazing. She talks about like a couple of those things too, and I find it really fascinating how some folks are really getting a voice around the power of authenticity and yeah. honesty and, um, sitting in your own power and kind of really it deconstructs things because you are taking apart systems that didn't give voice. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's going to be, I mean, this has been weird, right? Like super weird. Um, but I'm hopeful that, you know, I've never had a child Are either of you parents. No, no. Okay seems super disruptive right and then like it doesn't seem like it's the most comfortable thing um I've been at a lot of births for whatever reason I'm the friend that someone's like hey can you just like be here um <laughs> awesome. I, I think because my dad's a doctor and my mom's a nurse so I'm like a little bit yeah yeah they just yeah right okay so weird things talked about over the dining room table yeah um yep <laughs> so I'm not not squeamish so but it's disruptive and it, and it's disruptive even when someone comes into after you've had a baby and this person's in this, this person you're responsible for, you have to, everything changes. And, um, I think that's what we're in the middle of is it's mm. disruptive. Yeah. It's painful. Um, but we're starting to see some things about ourselves that we hadn't looked at before. Um, so I'm always looking for opportunity and I, on my good days. Now there's some days where I'm like, it's all going to end. You know, I I hope, I don't know. I'm hopeful that more places like Grace Point and places like that kind of show up where people feel challenged and connected and outside of their thoughts, but also supported enough to be in relationship with people enough to say, Hey, I don't agree with you. Can we talk about it in a way that's, not othering, and I think that's our it's going to take a long time for us to get out of our bipartisanship um, yeah. situation that we're in, where you're either with me or against me. Mm. um yeah, but yeah, I agree. i
0: I personally feel like the next step in like progressive churches or communities is the integration of interfaith studies. Um, mm-hmm. i don't I don't know what that's going to look like. Um, but I've, in my own, deconstruction and reconstruction, and you know the cycle that 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 is—it's never ending, kind of. Um, I—that's definitely the space that I have found myself, um, and I think that's just—I think that's part of that future, that hopeful future of the of the church or communities of faith that you know might align with Jesus and yeah. what he came to do. And well, all.
1: I feel like that's. I feel like that, and in, that inclusion of that, even if even if it's not something that you move into a space where you agree or you see all of the things that people um, find as their religious practices, I, I feel like you that would be a movement toward removing fear from your faith.
2: Mm-hmm. Right, 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 right. There's it's, a it's not threatening. If I'm if if I have survived the removal of that, which I thought was once essential. Cause I, I don't know what your deconstruction process felt like, but there usually is a piece where it feels like death, like Mm. death of former self death of, like you said, those connections, those things. But once you move through that, you kind of realize like nothing can actually, like there is no real risk in being around people that think differently than you yeah there is no real risk in questioning um there's potential growth, yeah, it's and not scary anymore and there's no risk of
0: being <laughs> being around your own thoughts of th- thinking differently. I think the fear d- isn't just you know and what other people what they align with and how they think and what their faith looks like, but it's sometimes we fear ourselves because we feel our own innate spirit or souls being drawn to a certain you know type of worship or language that aligns with you know our reconstruction or whatever you want to call it and there's sometimes that sense of you know fear potentially of the unknown of what that looks like and Mm -hmm. I feel like maybe being able to Embrace that instead of being so scared that the heart will deceive us. <laughs> um, right. That so that's
2: like a huge thing of being taught not to trust your inner voice.
0: Right. Yeah, um, exactly.
2: And that's, you know, we often talk about it in, in women, you know, we were often taught like, uh, walk away from your, emo- your, your emotional. Mm. Um, yes, I'm human. Humans have a, like your emotional as a, as a, as a, critique right and that's like a big part of our human um self is to to, but we walked away from it so often and then put on that often men are told don't trust like your emotions like take any emotion and turn it to anger yeah whatever emotion it is turn that to anger um and I think that's it's hard to like believe in your own intuition
0: mm-hmm.
2: um and I think when people give you language like um, roar and different folks give you language of seeing that as like the spirit
0: right that
2: voice that speaks when you can barely groan mm-hmm. um I think it helps us sort of tap in deeper to that like deep inner spirit soul where we see that we're not separated from other people and yeah um it's really hard to do that right now like I think about um my brothers who are in my uh my group for I've been a lead pastor group where I'm the only woman here in Costa Mesa. Mm. And, um, you know, we, we are so different and I it's hard to stay connected and rooted to our connection when they're saying things about like, well, you can minister to people who wear masks, but I'm ministering to people who don't wear masks. Cause like Paul, I think we should be all things to all people. Mm. And I'm like, Oh, no, because it's threatening other people, and right, and it's hard for me not to just run away. It's hard for me not like to try to stay connected and present. To wow, I don't agree with you. Right? Wow, you're still human. Um, <laughs> right? And I think that's the only way forward, and that's why I think like we have to sort of figure out ways that belonging is not be- based on belief because belief shifts so much. Right? Yeah. Um, and how do we like? allow people in those shifts to still feel connected. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's like kind of my hope is that we're learning some of that. You know, I, I I don't know. It's such a interesting time. I, I kind of find myself like checking out what other people are doing. And sometimes I feel guilty because some churches are doing so much during this time. But then I also think like, when did busyness become a measure of faithfulness and how do we, like what if right now it's about helping people just sort of deal with what what's happening and, and inviting them to things but saying, hey, if you just need to be at home and be close to each other, that's fine too and yeah um, yeah, it's such an interesting time um, it'll it'll be <laughs> ah, it'll be interesting to see how is your guys how are your communities acting like similar? are they doing online worship are they yeah,
0: yeah. Yes. For the most part, I, the, as far as I know, I know my uh, I know in North Carolina, which is actually where I'm from, like where I grew up, um, there's churches that are meeting in person, but at least around here in Nashville, as far as I know, everybody's still meeting virtually. We're still meeting virtually, you know, Grace right. Point still is. Um, probably will be for the foreseeable because we don't we don't have a building anymore. I don't know if you knew that. Um, no, we're not meeting in that Clementine building anymore so yeah um without going it
2: was pretty expensive so well yeah
0: (laughs) and not to go into into the politics of that it's just it we're just kind of moving on and um so it probably will not even be until next year i i would assume until we are Mm. even meeting in in uh in person um so yeah we're still in virtual spaces and it it is interesting to to see like to to wonder what it's going to be like and what church is going to be like what work is going like everything is just I was just saying to Adam on our walk yesterday um that (laughs) we're talking about friends and um, just communities in general and he was asking me like like so who are who are your friends right now like who who do you think are your friends? And I I said, I don't, I don't think anybody knows who our friends are. Like we know Uh, maybe who our pandemic friends are potentially. (laughs) We know um, the ones that we still talk to and the ones that we don't. And we see the ones that have dissolved and the group chats that don't function anymore or the ones that have started since, you know, this whole thing. But like, we don't really know. Like once we're all, functioning normally like i don't know like i can't say for sure who my friends are who my friend group is and what my community looks like um and so that's all part of the unknown so we can hope and we can maybe assume but we just we can't know um and that's it's just part of this this season but everybody's in that spot it's not just you know, yeah. you know it's not just me it's not just adam it's not just churches it's i mean everyone we're all going through that. Yeah,
1: and we're creating we're creating new habits right now and and we're creating right. new ways to be community. Right. Like I think and it's interesting because a lot of our deconstruction, well not a, not not a majority of it, but a lot of it has happened still through this pandemic and it's just I think I think you're absolutely right as you said before that it's about creating spaces. Mm-hmm. I think I think deconstruction tears down the concept of needing structure. But I don't think we need to reconstruct structure. I think we just mm. need to continuously be creating
0: space. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It goes yeah. back to making spaces, <laughs> which is everything that you're yeah. about.
2: Yeah, I think it's this, uh, it's very vague, but it's also very um, intentional and clear. And that just when you think you've built the thing, or when you mm. think, okay, then the form is no longer helpful. And I think that's the, it's the circles that just keep opening. And there are practices that you take with you, but maybe they change a little. There are, um, you know, different spaces that you open up in yourself and then allow other people to open up in them, you know, in their selves. And, and I think you're right. You don't know who your friends and community. I've noticed that some of my deepest friendships are not here. Mm. And I, I've never really felt like very, um, ingrained here in this community. I've, I've felt like as a pastor, you sort of have this weird, and I'm not married. So I have like kind of this weird, you know, uh, part of yet not a part of, and I really have felt that, Mm. um, in this time of like, Oh, I like it here, but this is not home. Mm. It's not, I'm not like, uh, isolating with people or, I mean, I, with my neighbors who are amazing. I have a, Mm-hmm. five-year-old and a eight-year-old who live next to me and they're my best friends. But um, <laughs> they literally, when, they, when we started uh, isolating and sheltering in place, the mom was like, obviously, like, can you just be on our quarantine? Because Aww. we cannot, like, we can't tell her not to come up and walk your dog. Like, that's just not going to work. That's so we've, we've been, it's so sweet. So we've been connected through the whole thing. But, and I love, I love this community in so many ways, but it makes you kind of think about, okay, what, what is home right. you know especially for someone like me who's moved from different countries and areas and yeah. um i think we are figuring out what people feel like home yep and what what connections do we need and you know part of my discovery of being an enneagram 3 was also discovering that i'm an introvert and mm. you know or more of an introvert than i thought i was i've always sort of thought i was either or and i think because of my persona as a public speaker and because of someone who likes being around people a lot. I yeah. I never could have identified myself as that, but I'm realizing how much I value this being at home, mm. my dog and I time, like yeah. And how overprogrammed we are. Um and I think churches felt the pressure to provide people with a social calendar mm. when the truth was <laughs> people already have that. So how can we tap into what people are already doing? Yeah. Um instead of creating all these things and try, you know, pastors are going crazy trying to reinvent the wheel. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. I know I'm sure. or like label it as a Christian thing. Like, mm. you know, we need a running group, a walking group, but you know, <laughs> <like> different <laughs> yeah. things. Yeah. Um, <laughs> instead of like, what does it look like to kind of, I hate the term, but I don't hate the term. So the guess you like, do life. What does that look like, yeah. um, so it'll be interesting to see, I think in the next 10 years, we're going to see some, well, even less than that. I think in the next like two years, we're going to see some interesting shifts. Yeah. Um, some churches are going to, you know, function in very different ways. Um, I'll be watching and seeing kind of how your church, especially if we're not, you don't have a, a yeah. home or in some ways, right. where, where will you be? Yeah. Um, yeah, kind be of, it's scary, but exciting. And I think that's, Again, I, I like scripture even when I like want to throw it out. I like it because it isn't the story of like winning all the time. There's yeah. a lot of struggle in it, and people look really in the midst of it. It must have se- seemed like the worst. Mm-hmm. Like, I uh, wrote a book about the story of Joseph um, from the Old Testament because it's like the best story of like if at any moment you stop the story, <laughs> like he's either killing it or he's like the worst. And I yeah. feel like life looks <laughs> more like that and in the midst of the this is the worst um it's hard to see how it could move um but i think it will and i think i don't know i'm hopeful that goodness will come out of it yeah love it as america reconstructs and regathers <laughs> right
0: exactly yeah
1: if we do hopefully <laughs> like oh,
0: gosh yeah for sure well this has been um Really awesome to talk with you and oh, same get to know you in this way. And, um, I'm sure our listeners are really appreciative. Um, and speaking of our listeners, could you just tell us how, um, they can find you?
2: Oh my gosh. I'm the easiest person to find. Um, so it's Rev Sarah Heath and it has all the H's. So S-A-R-A-H-H-G-A-T-H. Got it. Um, yeah, my sure. first crush, he was Spanish and could not say my name. Um, oh, Tara no. Eat. I know, so many H's. But uh, <laughs> you can find me on Instagram. You can find me on uh, Twitter. I'm not very great on that. But you can find me all over. But also, um, Making Spaces is the podcast. That mm-hmm. We just finished season one. Um, and there's a YouTube uh, at Rubster Heath uh, that has... kinds of fun videos like how do you organize a closet when it's a church closet because I don't believe in closets in churches literally or metaphorically that are messy and things are hiding in them yeah so yeah yeah, uh there's that kind of stuff we're getting ready to put a bunch of content out so it'll be fun so yeah that's what I'm doing okay as you know this is the this is the work yeah it
0: is that's amazing okay cool so that's how they can find you I'll probably link your website too um Thank you uh yeah we're just so honored to speak with you so much you too uh, it's been so fun it really has um hopefully we get to meet you in person someday uh who knows when that would
2: be i would love that i'm in nashville quite well back in my old life the last year i was in nashville quite a lot so i would love to connect with you guys next yeah. time i'm there
1: amazing That'd be yeah awesome. we'd love
2: that so great to talk to you guys
0: all right guys thanks for listening until next time bye, bye.